This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free of the chains holding me. Is anybody out there hearing me? Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. And you might have heard the, the PG-13 disclaimer at the beginning and and maybe you're asking what is that about and if you look at god's word there's a lot of stories in there that you could say are pg-13 maybe even r-rated so how, how does genesis begin it begins with adam and eve and they're both walking around naked so if you were to have that in a movie uh that would more than likely be r-rated and then moving forward Rahab, the prostitute, is the one who was God used to set free from the city when the children of Israel, Jericho, when they walked in there. And you've got um, the story of Noah, what happened with Noah. He, um, you know, after he got out of the ark, there was a time where he got drunk and then he was laying across the floor naked. That would have been PG-13. And then you look at Jesus, his death on the cross. He was bloody and gory and naked on the cross. I don't think I've ever seen a true picture that that depicts everything Jesus went through on the cross. I mean, to be hanging on a cross naked in that shame, that's just pure torment in every way, emotional and physical. And you remember Mel Gibson's movie back 17 years, I think it was, The Passion, Uh, That itself was R-rated. So the Bible itself is PG-13 and R-rated, and we're commanded as God's church to be a part of his mission to set captives free. And you can't do that if you don't go deep into the roots. And let me illustrate that. So we help people recover from porn and sex addiction. If somebody comes to me and says, well, I got a problem with pornography and adultery, and I just say, well, here's a couple Bible verses God's word just says, don't do it, um, and put an app on your phone, that's not going to help anyone. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are getting around those apps. So I have to help them. Part of my role is to help them get into the roots of what's going on. You can't do that if you just skim the surface. So that that's a part of what we do. And, and in, if you read the book of Jeremiah, at one point God says he's criticizing the shepherds for in his words, healing the wounds of my people lightly. He's not looking for shallow or superficial healing or just quoting verses. He wants to be full on into getting to the heart issues. And so that's what we do. And part of it, what I try and do here is to help you see what's really going on in the church under the hood. Um, a lot of times when we walk into church on Sundays, Everybody has their smile on and, you know, everybody looks good, smells good, 
we walk out and then nobody knows what's going on. And also a lot of the narrative these days is about what's going on outside the church and the country's a mess. And But I also want to bring in to this to these broadcasts, what's going inside the church so that we can have healing and that we can be the church God has called us to be. So today we're going to be talking about taking our churches rogue, the rogue church. And all of this and more is in my new book, The Rogue Christian. And the way I want to kick this off is just reading a couple news articles. This is just recently from this last week. October 18th, a pastor was temporarily relieved of his duties after child porn charges. A Southern Illinois pastor has been temporarily relieved of his duties after he was arrested on a child pornography charge. My friends, this is happening every single week where somebody in a church, in a leadership position, a Sunday school teacher or a pastor is getting arrested for child pornography. October 15th this month, the uh, headline reads, Catholic colleges should be alert to student porn usage. A group seeks to hold Catholic university, universities accountable and take the lead on fighting online porn usage among their students. Studies indicate that upwards of two-thirds of high school and college-aged Americans view pornography at least weekly. These rates may be higher amid the coronavirus pandemic, which they are. He doesn't address it in the article, but Pornhub, the largest porn site in the world, reported that their, their, their views went up, depending on the country, anywhere from 11 to 25%. In Italy, it went up 57%. So the, as I mentioned before, the coronavirus has really exposed what's going on in the church. So I wanna, what I want to get into now is I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about the current environment we're in. Think about the Civil War. Think about the burning, the burning of the buildings. Thinking about police departments being disbanded. Think about the sexual depravity. This has all been building for years. And for years, every Sunday, we go into church and we hear our 45-minute our sermon and we have our three to four or three to four worship songs and then we go home and so this has been going on for years actually decades where the country has been on a very slow but very definite decline so what we have to ask ourselves is why is this and what should we be doing to make changes and even more than that what can we do to cause a spiritual awakening so if you want to know the roots, we have to go back to the 90s when the seeker-friendly movement began. And a part of that movement, or a big part of that movement, was to keep everything at a shallow level. We only discuss things that are positive and encouraging. And so we don't want to take anybody out of their comfort zone. And so what we do is we park at topics like God loves you, and which is, you know, that's a part of the gospel right there. It's a very important part. I'm not trying to dismiss that in any way, but we do not stop there, not by any means. We have to look at all of what Scripture is saying to do. And the, the issue is that as soon as you dumb the church down, as soon as you take away all of the, 
the hard issues of life which people are struggling with. You just created the soil that breeds and grows and rots lukewarm Christians. And we have a huge issue with this today. I just had, we just moved here back in July from Colorado. So we're here in Chandler, Arizona now. And we found a church that I love. The pastor is, he does more than just do expository sermons. He challenges people. He talks about the fact that we're a church at war. He challenges people to be prayer warriors and to be intercessors. He challenges people to get out of their isolation boxes and their comfort zone. And I'm listening to this guy and thinking, wow, I love you. And (laughs) we've been reading off the same playbook. And my family had been elbowing me for weeks saying, when you go introduce yourself, "Ah, I just wanted to sit back and listen for a little bit. And Finally, last weekend, I went and approached him and introduced myself, and we got to talking, and I told him, I, I love what you're doing. And I, He also had the congregation praying a little while ago, and I love that you're not just saying this is what the verses mean, but you're challenging people, and you're leading people. And he looked at me, and he said, most of the time, I feel like I'm just speaking to a brick wall. And this is what we have become. And I... We have become Laodicea. We've become the lukewarm church because, and you hear this all over Christian media, the phrase positive and encouraging. And one pastor of a church posted something on social media. His exact words were, if you don't have anything positive, don't say it. So this whole idea, this whole concept that you can't talk about anything negative is just stuck. And what is the roots in that? Tolerance. We don't want to offend anyone. I mean, that's the, the roots of tolerance is you don't upset anyone or say anything. Uh, we can't say that there's absolute truth. So that whole issue, that whole process has crept into the church and it's warped it. And then the other thing is we've lost sight of our mission. If you go and read... Isaiah 61, Jesus talks about, or Isaiah prophesies Jesus' mission as setting captives free, bringing those out of prison, giving beauty for ashes. Uh, When Jesus came, he came to to seek and save those who were lost. But what we've done is we've substituted and confused our how with our what. Our what is our mission and our purpose. Our how is how we go about that. And part of the how is we, like it says in Timothy, preach the word, exhort, convince, and rebuke. That's a part of it. The breakdown comes when all you do is you make verse-by-verse teaching your sole method of reaching people. So, for example, all the surveys are showing that two-thirds of Christian men are viewing pornography and 30% of women. So knowing that and knowing that our mission is to be able to reach out to these people who are struggling with these things, if you're all you do is verse-by-verse teaching and you're not going to be hitting a verse for several years that even touches sexual issues, or worse yet, you avoid them, can you really stand on that in confidence and say we're accomplishing our mission to be a part of Jesus's role his church to set captives free and to minister to those who are broken but what about issues like mental health suicide has just exploded in this country 
but a lot of you don't hear about that mentioned in church much. How about abortion? I could go on. Sexual abuse. One out of four women reportedly have been gone through sexual abuse. There is a lot of trauma and turmoil and bondage in the church, but we're missing it because we've made our tradition more important than our mission. There has to be clarity between both of them. This is not to knock verse-by-verse teaching. I love it. I've been in churches all my life that do that. But we have to have clarity on what our mission and our why is. And then the other reason we've lost our salt that has allowed a loss of this, a lot of this to happen, it can be explained in 1 Corinthians 5, where the Apostle Paul is confronting the church about the sexual sin of one man, and he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And, and that's what we see in this ministry. <laughs> we come across a lot of, or, you know, we come in contact with a lot of people who are saying churches are not dealing with these things and what the mentality and the idea is, we don't have this problem in our church. And I've heard pastors say those words. That's arrogance. What we're saying is we don't have sin because we do verse-by-verse teaching or we have the big building or we have the big worship band. So part of our prayer needs to be, God, would you please break us? Break us of our pride break us of our arrogance. And the whole picture here is our country has collapsed and free-falling into moral depravity and with the soil that has groomed Christians to be lukewarm and avoid the hard issues. And I'm just talking about, not about, just talking about sex here. I'm also talking about any ang- issue about like anger. I mean, you can't just say to somebody who's struggling with anger and bitterness and rage, stop doing that. You have to go deeper into the roots. And in Luke 14, 34 to 35, Jesus says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's pretty strong words. He's saying that a church that has lost its salt is worse than steaming, hot, disgusting human excrement. And then in Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let me ask you, what do you think the church's responses look like in these last six months? Think about the words you've heard from leadership. Think, you, think about what you've heard about in Christian media. Are we t- putting a mirror up in front of ourselves or are we blaming everything on the government and the outside world? You don't really hear much about the church is corrupt, the church is lukewarm, uh, there, there are people here and there that say, okay, we need to repent, but repent of what? It's like we have this blind spot when it comes to facing our sin. So now I want to start getting into the answers. And what I want to do is I'm going to read some verses from the book of Acts 
And I want you, as I read these, I want you to ask yourself, does my church look like this? And does my Christian life look like this? So I'll begin with Acts 1.14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the church was founded on prayer and prayer alone. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Prayer again. And there's no isolated Christians in God's economy in the early church. Acts 3.1, now Peter and John were going up to the house at the, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Again, just third chapter into it, they're spending time in prayer. Acts 4, and when they had prayed, this was after uh, Peter and John had been threatened by the Pharisees, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Can you say that the average American Christian is bold? Do we pray for boldness? And then Acts 12, And at that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw it, that it pleased the Jews, he, arre he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was for him was made to God by the church. Another prayer meeting. Acts 12. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Another prayer meeting. Acts 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, <laughs> we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. They're having prayer meetings all the time, and when they're meeting, they're not always necessarily having a message, but it's always they're always praying and meeting together. And then Acts 19, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. Catch that. Confessing and divulging their sins out in the open. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So think about that. They're praying all the time. How often at the weekend church service on an average American Sunday or Saturday, do we spend time praying together as a body? I think most of you, most of us would say never. In Isaiah 56, 7, we're told, my, my church shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus confirmed that verse just before he's ready to kick a bunch of people out for selling goods in the church. Maybe today he might be kicking them out who are selling cappuccinos in the cappuccino bar. So I, I want to point out a few things from the early church. One is, as we've mentioned, they're constantly praying. If you look at Peter's first sermon, do you realize it was just maybe five minutes long and 3,000 people came to Christ? They didn't have a program time of 45 minutes or so where they did a sermon that we see ever. 
That's not to say there's nothing wrong with that, but we have hyper-structured our churches that all we do is we do our sermon and we do our worship band and we go home. Meanwhile, we've cut out the most powerful and important piece of the whole thing, which again is prayer. There were no isolated believers. When I go and speak, I'll often ask people to raise their hands if they meet with another brother or sister once a week for the purpose of accountability, support, and prayer. And usually only 15% put their hands in the room up. I have seen statistics that say that the average American, only 10% of American Christians are meeting with another brother or sister. So the, the American church, for the most part, is isolated. The early church had no Bibles, they had no worship bands, they had no choirs, organs, and they had no senior pastors to build the name of the church around. There was no Peter's church or James church. Did you notice that in Acts 2.42, it said they were devoted to the apostles' teaching? They had, there was 12 of them. I mean, and there, there are a lot of, I'm sure, qualified Holy Spirit-filled men who could have taken over, but they shared the teaching role. So the whole thing wasn't built on around one man. And then what do you see today in our American churches? One guy falls to whatever, sexual sin or some financial thing, and the whole church just, it's very traumatic. There are no Christian books, no concerts, no conference conferences, and that church changed the world. We have everything, and we're losing it. I started a little church plant in Colorado last year, and we decided to build it around Acts 2.42, where the, uh, we were devoted to fellowship, prayer, and the Word. I would begin the service by giving a message for 20 minutes, and then I'd break everybody up into groups of two or three to share and pray for each other. And then at the end, we would all pray together as a body. And the shocking thing was the very first service, our very first meeting, there were maybe a little under 20 people in the room. And, when, and these are people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who had been in church for decades. And I said, okay, let's all pray together as a body. I kid you not, no one in the room prayed. This is what happens when our performance-driven churches don't put their people on their knees. And I see this all the time with people we counsel where they're, st- where they're stumbling and fumbling and don't have much of a prayer life. And that is so- that's the source of a believer's power. That's the source of the church's power. So the answer is we have to go back to Acts 2.42. We have to set aside our traditions. We have to set aside everything we know about church and, s- and look at God's word and say, what did they do? We have to build the church on prayer. That means every single Sunday, every single Saturday night, we are spending time in prayer. We have to be devoted to fellowship. That means there are no isolated believers. And the way you handle that is every single weekend service, you break your people up into groups of two or three, and you have people sharing their hurts, their pain, their struggles, and their sins, and then you get them praying for each other. And then we're devoted to the Word. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. A lot of our churches are doing very well with that. If we do these things, if we actually do what the book says, James 1, be doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude yourselves, we will be the game-changing church that the early church was. But this will not happen if we are allowing a comfort zone and and our tradition to run the way we do things. It has to change. So I really want to challenge 
church leadership and those of you listening that are not to pray about this and to discuss this and to realize we have to go rogue, which is to go biblical. Just because it's American doesn't mean it's biblical. If you filter your life and you filter your actions and you filter through the church through God's word, it becomes very simple. All these things that I'm talking about and more are in my new book, The Rogue Christian. And you can learn more about the book at therogchristian.com. Also, we're in the middle of doing 30 days of prayer right now, and there are 30 videos, one for each day, that you, that'll take you through different issues to pray through and different institutions and, and how to draw to pray for and how to draw closer to the Lord. So I would encourage you and challenge you to take a look at the website. Thank you for joining us, and I hope to hear from you soon. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.